Uh, we're going to end, we're going to finish Matthew uh, chapter 13 today. We're going to be in verses 53 through 58. It says, Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there. When he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is this not, is his mother, is not his mother called Mary? And his brothers, James, uh, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters, are they not all with us? When then did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and his own house. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Uh, I'm sure many of you have heard this story before. Uh, you've probably heard people say that phrase, man's not, prophets without honor in his own hometown. And Jesus comes and he's at his hometown and he shows back up and he's the son of God and he's the savior of the universe. And everybody's kind of looking at him like, hey, we've known this guy since he was a kid. Like, isn't he just the carpenter's son? Isn't that all that he is? And we know his family and we know who he is. And, and, and Jesus fulfills the prophecy because they said this was going to happen. And Jesus kind of ends up and says, you know what, man, I knew this was going to happen. A prophet, prophet's not without honor except in his own country, in his own house. We see Jesus around these people at the end of all these parables. He's telling these people like, I'm God. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you how to live and what to do. And I want you to repent and I want you to turn towards God. And their response is, isn't this the carpenter's son? This just come on, man. This is just the carpenter's son. He ain't the Messiah. He ain't the Savior. He ain't the chosen one. Why? Why do we have to do what he says? Why do we have to follow him? Isn't he just the carpenter's son? Faced with the reality of Jesus, the Messiah, in their midst, they don't embrace him. They don't, they don't get excited and say, "Man, the, the the one that came from our city, the one that came from our country, he's the Son of God, and we praise God that he came from where we came from." They reject him. And by rejecting him, they reject everything about him. They don't, when, when you say something to the son of God, like, Psh, isn't he just a carpenter's son? That's rejecting everything about him. It's not, it's, it's not just saying, well, he is the savior and he is the son of God and he is the Lord, but you know, he's also a carpenter's son. No, they're rejecting everything about him. And I'll tell you this, as we get into this message, you cannot choose what you're going to take from Jesus. Yeah. You, you can't come to Jesus and say, oh, I, I, I like the, the good stuff that Jesus does. You know, he'll heal me and he'll talk to me and he'll do these things. But I, I don't want to submit to his lordship and I don't want to submit to who he is. And so when, when it comes to those times in my life where things are difficult for me to submit, I'm just going to minimize who he is and say, isn't this just the carpenter's son? Totally fine hanging out with the heal me and talk to me, Jesus, just not the submit to me, Jesus. See, what these people were doing is they were questioning his authority. They asked, where did, where did this man get his wisdom? Where did he get his wisdom? And in this story, they, they question his authority, and this is documented in other places as well. To them, they, they understood the story of Israel. They knew that, that, that God was going to send a Messiah, that God was going to send a king, that God was going to send a redeemer. And so when, when he shows up and they have Jesus comes, and, and it actually says that he's going to come out of, of Israel and he's going to come out of, of, uh, of themselves, but they rejected it. They didn't like it because their idea of who Jesus was supposed to be and who they thought Jesus should be didn't match up. And so to them, after hearing what Jesus had to say, and he's told all these different parables, 
Their response is simply, who's he to tell us, man? Who's he to tell us? It's, it's questioning his authority because what Jesus was saying was transformational. It was unlike anything they had ever heard before. And, and he's kicking over their religious apple carts and he's challenging the way that they think about God. And so their, their response to him is not to embrace what he's saying. It's to ask, where did this man get, get his wisdom? I'll, I'll tell you where Jesus got his wisdom. He says in Matthew 20, uh, excuse me, eleven twenty-seven. he says, all things have been delivered to me by my father and no one knows the son except the father, nor does anyone know the father is t- except the son and the one whom the son wills to reveal to him. Jesus is not just a moral teacher. Jesus is not just a good idea. Jesus is just not an interesting circus trick. He is the son of God. And the wisdom that he speaks is the wisdom of the father, father God that, that, and I don't have time to go into Trinitarian and all the uh, things about Jesus, but Jesus is God in the flesh. He's hundred percent God. He's hundred percent man. And so when Jesus speaks, he's speaking as the father because the father is him. Now, this idea of Jesus being the supreme authority must be internalized. It's, it's why when people, when I ask people, I say, are you a Christian? And they say, well, I believe in God. And I'm like, that's not what I asked. A lot of people believe in God. Which God are we talking about here? It's like when when people say, are are you a Christian? Yeah, I've received God. Receiving God is not a salvation experience. When people say they believe in God, to me, it's like, well, what do you, what's your ideas about Jesus? And it's funny, if you, if you go around in the community and you're at work or anything else and you say, I believe in God, everybody's fine with that. Nobody says anything. And then you're like, Hey, I believe in Jesus. And like, well, hold on, man. We just know Jesus in the workplace. Because they even know the name, man. There's a demand that comes with that name. That's something a little bit stronger. When you say, no, I believe in Jesus, it changes the conversation. When you don't reduce him to a carpenter's son, it changes the conversation. He's so much more. He, he's the only one that can grant eternal life. Only him, no one else. You, you can't merely reduce him to a carpenter's son. John 17, 2, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Only Jesus grants eternal life. He is so much more than a carpenter's son. And so when Jesus says that he has authority over all flesh and that he can give eternal life, man, that's huge. It's not something we just take lightly. And, and, and I think what's hard for us uh, as people that have been following God for a while, sometimes we hear these things and, and it just, it flies over our heads and we don't internalize this idea of, of Jesus's authority over us and what that really means and that he's the one that grants eternal life. I don't know if you ever think about death, but death can be scary if you don't know what happens at the end. But when you know that Jesus has granted you eternal life, it can give you a measure of hope, but you have to internalize it. And and it starts with internalizing and knowing Jesus's authority in our lives. Matthew 28, 18, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Ephesians 1, 21, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age which is to come. Philippians chapter two says, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. That's authority. If every knee is going to bow, that's authority. It's so much more than just a carpenter's son. It's so much more than just like, well, he had some nice parables and he had some nice things that he said. No, he is God in the flesh and every knee will bow to him. 
we sit here and we talk about these people and you, you, you hear it and you say, well, how, how could they say this? But you say it every time you deny the authority of Jesus over your life. Every time you deny the authority of Jesus in your life, you, you're, you're basically saying, well, isn't he just a carpenter's son? You're just basically saying, man, where does he, where does he get his wisdom? And, and we look down our spiritual noses of people in the Bible and like, well, I would never do that. But actions speak louder than words and we live our lives in a certain way. And somehow we want to pretend that we're not the people that are saying, where did this man get his wisdom from? And is he not a carpenter's son? But we do it. When we deny his authority over our lives, his rightful ownership over all that we have and all that we do and all that we are. And then there's a streak of rebellion within all of us, myself included, that must be destroyed. It must. And, and I've said this to you guys before. I'm not as holy as I probably should be. And, and so when I'm, I'm, I'm going through the scriptures and God reveals rebellion in my own heart, I just assume that there's probably some rebellion in your heart as well. Probably not in my wife, but everybody else. Everybody else. Right? You guys with me? And it's, you know, I'm not out there sacrificing small animals. Sometimes I get in the HOV lane when I'm just with me and the Holy Ghost. I'm with three other people. You just can't see them. Can I get a witness? All right. At least there's a few honest people in this church. That's rebellion, man. It's that idea of, did God really say mindset? It's to question God's authority. We, we love our free will. And I, and I believe in free will. I really do. But the problem is, is that we almost worship our free will to the point of where, well, if God can't overly convince me or I'm waiting for God to say something to me or I need a whole level of conviction instead of just saying, you know what, Jesus' wisdom is God's wisdom. He came from the Father. He has all authority and I'm going to submit to him and I'm not going to question it. I'm going to just give up my free will to follow him. Wouldn't it just be better to submit to his authority than to question it? Submission is easy, friend. Rebellion is hard. Oh, submission is so easy. Uh, rebellion is hard. I, I, I don't know if you've ever had any hard bosses in your life. I've had some hard bosses in my life, whether it was in the military or in corporate America. And, and if, if you really were honest, the hard bosses taught you more than the easy bosses. But while you're in the midst of living under a hard boss and nobody likes it. I, I remember uh, back when I worked in corporate America and I was in outside business to business sales. And man, I had this, <laughs> this boss that was just relentless. And, and we all just admired him and hated him simultaneously. And I remember always we would work, uh, of course, Monday through Friday like everybody else. And, and we had to meet a sales number every week. And we always said things like a week is a trend. So if you had a bad week, you'd get written up and that's a pressure that you don't want to live under. So Thanksgiving week, you still had to make your number in three days, even though, you know, you're like, well, we only had three days. It's a 60% this week. Like, no, hundred percent in three days. Now, if you've worked anywhere, you realize that 
Thanksgiving week, nobody's around, nobody's doing anything. Everybody's letting their foot off the gas. And usually everybody takes Wednesday off. So you've got a two days that you've got to make a five day number. And this guy, like every Thanksgiving, we'd be out in the field, uh, dutifully doing what we're supposed to do. And he would send us a text or call us uh, Wednesday morning and say, everybody's going to do five cold calls today after five. Oh my gosh. Yes. So what that means is, is that after the five o'clock ends on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, you've got to find five, not just, not just knock on a door. You've got to find five open doors where somebody's in there, where you can give them your business card, grab a business card and attempt to present what you're trying to sell five after five on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. How many of you are at work after five on Thanksgiving that aren't a firefighter, right? Most of us are gonzo, right? And I remember we would sit, and then as soon as he sends it out, all the reps are calling each other. Man, I ain't doing it. I ain't doing it. No way. I'm going to lie, and I'm going to do this and everything else. And, and I remember just sitting in my car, and it was like every other Wednesday in November. It's cold. It's wet. It's rainy. I'm just internalizing, just like, ah. And I wanted to lie. I really did, because... Who's that? I mean, he's, you know, two states away telling us what to do. He's probably out eating turkey, just loving to punish us. And my mindset was, and who is he to tell us what to do when he's not here? He ain't doing it. He's like two steps up the chain. He ain't out here with us. I ain't doing this. But then I was like, this company pays me a really good wage. He's the boss. I owe him my time. Whatever he's paying me to do, however which way he wants me to do it, whether I want to do it or not, he has the authority to tell me what to do. He's paying my paycheck, man. And if <laughs> I don't work there anymore. But if that's how he wants to run his business, it's five after five, man. There's a sermon in there somewhere. What do we owe God? Is he just a carpenter's son or is he more? Do we minimize him and say, well, who is he to tell me what to do? Five after five, Jesus, you ain't here. I ain't doing it. The Bible, the Bible, there's not a lot of amens on that. Why is that? I thought that was a really good sermon example. And I was expecting some good amens. All of a sudden, everybody sunk into their seats and they're like, oh, James 4, 7. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. People don't want to submit to God. They don't want to submit to government or boss or pastors, anyone. So they just turn him into a carpenter's son. Where does this guy get his wisdom? Just some normal bearded guy that told really good stories. No. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. The answer to submit is not to say, where did he get his wisdom from? It's just to submit in your heart and in your actions. Secondly, We don't want to just question his authority. We don't want to bring him down to our level. We don't want to bring him down to our level. And that's really what that phrase is. This not the carpenter's son does. It's this notion that Jesus is just another commoner. He's just some normal guy, which at face value, the Jews appreciated. They loved that Jesus came out from within them, from the humble beginnings and all. But when it turned to his authority, they minimized it and they brought him down to their status. Think about it. Savior of the universe, just the carpenter's son. Because if he's just a carpenter's son, you don't have to listen to him. If 
he's just a carpenter's son, you can minimize who he is. And it's, it's, it's a technique that people do when they're faced with the reality of somebody's position and what they are. They just minimize who they are and bring them down to their level. Matthew 13, 55, is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? John says it this way in uh, 642, he says, and they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? This is why I get so frustrated with people that serve the buddy Jesus. Oh, it frustrates me to no end. Uh, people would say, are, are you a Christian? Yeah, me and JC, we're good. Really? Like, where, where are you at with your relationship with God? Man, me and we're good. It's And, and I'm going to really ruffle some feathers. It's, it's like when people call God, it's like when people call God daddy. I just, I don't like that. It just feels weird. It just does, man. People say, well, he's my daddy. And I'm like, yeah, but if my son was calling me daddy at this age, I think it was weird. Amen. It's kind of odd. But but really, what it is, and 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 there's such a such it's such a deep understanding to understand that like yes, I can climb into the lap of Jesus and nestle my face in His beard, but He's God, man. Yeah. <sighs> he's so much more than just like, like He's not my buddy. Like he loves me like a friend and he's a friend to me and, and then he loves me and we hang out. But I never forget the fact that he's my savior. And I never forget the fact that he died on the cross for my sins. And, and, and our status is, is like, I'm, I'm never going to forget who he is in my life and what he's done for me. I, I, I really feel like some people follow these different set of rules that I find honestly really disrespectful. I really do. Even in my earthly relationships, like my relationship with my father, it's not the best relationship. I don't have the, the, the best relationship with my father. And it's been that way for many years. But when I see my dad, he's my dad. You're not JP. What's up, JP? No, I don't do that. I don't call my uncles by their first names. I don't call my aunts by their first names. I see my old teachers from high school. It's still Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so. I see my old army buddies that were my leaders. It's not Rick. It's Sergeant Phillips. It's not Roy. It's Sergeant V. Like, I, <laughs> he's been out of the military for 20 years. It's Colonel Trent. Like, I just, I, I can't. His name's not Neil. <laughs> Full bird, full bird colonel in the U.S. Army. And uh, what's up, Neil? No, it's Colonel Trent, dude. It's always Colonel Trent. It's never going to be anything else. And so when it comes to my relationship with Jesus, I don't bring him down to this level of like, oh, he's just a carpenter's son. He's died on the cross for my sins, created the heavens and the earth, rules the earth in his hands, and he's just minimized to a carpenter's son. Let me show you what it says in Isaiah 53, 2 and 3. And this is prophecy. It says, uh, maybe, is it going to come up? Isaiah 53, 2 and 3. Francine, you did really good last night. (laughs) Where are we at? All right, I'll turn to it in my Bible. It's going to come up there. Hey, all right. Francine, you pulled it out. Still love you. All right. (laughs) Francine. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and a root out of dry ground. This is talking about Jesus. He has no form or comeliness. And, we, and when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. 
He is despised and rejected by men, and a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Uh, This idea that Jesus is this beautiful, handsome man that you would just be drawn to is not biblical. If we beheld him, we would not be drawn into him by his appearance. And the Bible talks about it. And this is the fulfillment of this prophecy is the the reality of Jesus showing up and people rejecting him. And so for us, it, it takes so much uh, awareness of, of how we came to Christ to choose to recognize his greatness and not be like normal people that reject him based on what they think that Jesus is. This message of, of Christmas, and we sang it, it was so timely. We sang away in a manger today. Our king came in a manger. Like he was lowly. He didn't come with fanfare. He didn't demand people to follow him. He didn't demand people to submit to him. And the reality is, is that he was a carpenter's son. And he was just a person that didn't have a great persona. But we choose to submit to him nonetheless. But look in Luke chapter 2, 5 and 7. It says this. Uh, I'm going to have to start turning here. I don't know. Maybe it's that computer. There it is. To be re- this is the story. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. I love when God does this. You're like, I think I'm going to sing away in a manger on Sunday. Yeah. And I'm like, I think I'm going to add this scripture. There it is. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. I'm just so struck by how God works. It's almost like he knows what he's doing. Because there was no room for them at the end. That, that's not the arrival of an earthly king. Now, now three, a handful of kings realized it. They came and they worshipped him, but many people minimized it. The Bible says in John 1, 10 and 11, he, he was in the world, the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. See, people want people that lead them that are men of the people. They want them to identify with us, but then when it comes to actually having to submit and having to do what they do, we just minimize who they are because we don't want to actually have to do what they say, so we try to make them less than who they are. Matthew 26, 67, then they spat in his face and they beat him and others struck him with the palms of their hands. This is fulfillment of prophecy of what was going to happen to Jesus. Wouldn't it have been greater instead of calling him the carpenter's son to just ascribe to him greatness? Wouldn't it have been better to just worship him and praise him for what he is and what he's done? Jesus comes to us and he loves us and was one of us. But once we get the realization of who he is, we should not take him for granted. Shouldn't, shouldn't we stand up and give him our seat? Shouldn't we stand up to greet him? Shouldn't we bow in adoration? It, it's so hard because American Christianity has preached this buddy Jesus so much is that we've really lost uh, reverence for God. We just treat him like an everyday thing. Like, nah, it's just Jesus. And, and then we, again, it's just the rebellion in our hearts. We don't want anybody telling us what to do or how to live or how to dress or how to act or anything else. These people bring him gifts and they bow down. 
Psalm 95, 6, oh, come and let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Matthew 28, 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And then you might think for some reason that you are half a step above or even below Jesus, but that's not me. I know where I'm at in the pecking order. I, I don't, I don't wake up in the morning and think like God made something awesome when he made me and here's Jesus and here's me and I'm right below him. Like Jesus is here and I'm like below, low, 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 low. I don't think of myself more highly than I ought. I think of myself with sober judgment. Jesus is at the top and he's not just a carpenter's son. No. John 4, 23, but the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth for the father is seeking such to worship him. So they were offended at him. Just, just a few verses ago, Jesus said in Matthew eleven six, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. But apparently these guys didn't get the memo because they were offended. Now, the, 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 the translation of this word, and I don't know, I, I think in the King, in my version of the Bible, it actually doesn't use offended. I think it uses a different word. It says, yeah, they were astonished. That's what it says in my version. But the, I looked it up, and I don't always do this, but in the Greek, it's, and I don't speak Greek, but it's scandalizo. Scandalizo. What word does that sound like? Yeah, scandalous, right? See, you guys are speaking Greek. It's all Greek to me. That was funny. Now, the definition of this word in the Strong's of, of to scandalize means to entrap. That is trip up, figuratively stumble. Uh, entice to sin, apostasy or displeasure, make to offend. In in the New King James, when it says astonished, I I think it's mistranslated based on the Greek and that the Greek is really, they were scandalizing what Jesus was doing while simultaneously saying that he was scandalous and what he was saying that he was. They were offended about what he was saying and what he was doing and, and what, what he actually deserved based on his status in society where they say, well, he's just a carpenter's son. And they say they were offended or astonished or scandalized at him is saying that he's actually not who he says that he is. We're offended in the fact that he's saying that he's the son of God. To us, he's just a carpenter's son. We're going to scandalize his status. And, and this, this offended that some translation said, it's more than, I can't believe that he would say this. It's more of a, this guy is an apostate from God and what he's doing is scandalous because he's leading other people astray. That's literally the status that they put Jesus at. It's not just that they minimized his status as a, a carpenter's son. They actually said, no, he's doing wrong. He's leading people astray. He's leading people to believe things that are not true. And, and to go that far to, to actually think that about Jesus is scandalous. So they themselves are saying, Jesus, what he's doing is scandalous. And in their belief are minimizing him once again and saying, you know what? He's not who he says that he is. Isaiah chapter 8, 14 said about Jesus, he will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. 
That's what Isaiah 8.14 says. It says that he would be a trap and a snare. The, the, the true definition of that word astonished or offended, depending on your Bible, that scandalizo, says a trap and a snare. It's the marrying of the two, the Old Testament prophecy and the New Testament example of saying, he said, he's going to be a snap and a, a trap and a snare. These people are saying, he's a trap and a snare. They're actually the fulfillment of what the prophecy was, and they're being what Jesus said that they are, where they're the snap, they're the snare that's keeping people from really realizing that Jesus is the Son of God. So when they're calling what he's doing a scandal, they're actually quite right. They just don't realize that they're the fulfillment of the prophecy in saying that what he's doing is wrong. And unless they repent, they're not going to make it to heaven. They're the scandal. This is what was prophesied. And this is what Jesus expected, that people would reject him. John 4, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Now, this might be hard for you to to realize, but everybody we preach Jesus to is not going to receive him. There's people that come to this church and they'll sit and hear a message of Jesus repeatedly and refuse to accept him as savior. They're completely fine listening to the message and never turning from their sins, never giving their lives to Jesus. There's people that come through and, and, and you'll see in a room full of people, maybe there's 10 or 20 people that are unsaved and one or two will raise their hand and come forward and, and receive salvation. Some people, frankly, are just not going to receive the message of the cross. First Corinthians 1.18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. John 1, 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Now, now it doesn't mean that we give up on the process. I'm going to preach Jesus till the day that I die. 1 Corinthians 1, 23, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block to the Greeks in foolishness. But, but for these people, wouldn't it have been better if they just would have accepted him? Wouldn't that have just been better in, in, instead of calling him a scandal? But, but this is the problem with the human condition. We, you, I, all of us have so much difficulty changing our view and belief of something once we've decided something is a certain way. In the face of undeniable facts, we will stick to what we believe. And there's a bunch of different psychological reasons why. I think a lot of it is pride. I think that people, and frankly, some people are just deceived, but some people, like, you can show it to them right in front of their face and they'll say, I choose not to believe that. You've shown me all the status or uh, statistics. You've shown me all the facts, but I already made a decision. And so now if I change what I said before, you're going to probably view me differently and think that you've got influence over me. And I don't want to have that. So I'm going to stick to my guns to the detriment of my spirituality just because I want to be prideful and not admit like, man, I was wrong for years. I was totally and completely wrong. You were right. But in pride, I'm going to hold on to my erroneous belief that I'm going to carry with to hell. We see things we know aren't true and we believe them. And we see things that are true and we deny them. And, and, and frankly, it takes an honest assessment of the facts and a heart that desires truth to see it. It's like when Pilate said, what is truth? He desired it. He just refused to see it and believe it. Now, here's truth, Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Just, just confess Jesus is Lord. 
Just confess him. Say, Jesus is Lord. I, I, I'm sorry that I minimized him. I'm sorry that I thought that he was a carpenter's son. And, 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 and today I'm going to submit to him. He's not just a carpenter's son. He's not. He is Lord and he is God and he is Savior. Second Peter 3, 9 says that Jesus is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants to save us from our sins. He wants to set us free. And so we should confess our sins. As 1 John 1, 9 says, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We don't want to minimize Him and to just be in a carpenter's son. Now, this is actually the saddest part of the whole entire story. In verse 58, it says, Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. These people, like many others, just miss out because of their unbelief. (laughs) I love living for Jesus, man. I love the God life. I love mighty works. I love seeing Jesus move. I I just love it. But there's so many people that miss out on the great things that Jesus can do because they choose, they choose to not believe. And so just like Jesus leaves this town, he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. He just leaves. Now, now I, I can't fully explain it because I don't fully understand it. And I know that might be odd to hear it coming out of your pastor's mouth, but our belief works in concert with Jesus. Now, you can take this farther than it needs to go, and then all of a sudden, there's a theology that says you didn't receive it because you didn't believe enough, and I don't believe that at all. But what I do believe is that we've, we've got to have a belief that Jesus is Savior. We've got to have a belief that God is who he says that he is. We have to have a belief that Jesus can do what he says he can do. And Jesus says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. And so it's not the measure of faith. It's just like you've got to have more than nothing, Right. Let me, let me show you a story, uh, and we already went through it, but it's so, it just describes this, what I'm trying to say. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 27 through 31, it says, When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come to the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to him, watch this, Do you believe I am able to do this? And they said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them and saying, see that no one knows it. But when they had departed, they spread the news about him in all that country. They couldn't shut up about it. Come on now. Couldn't keep that to yourself. And when he had come into the house, the blind man came to him. And Jesus said to them, do you believe I'm able to do this? And they said to him, yes, Lord. Did did they look up at Jesus and say, you're just a carpenter's son? No. I believe that you're able to do this. I know. We've been blind. We have no other options. You're saying you can heal us? Yes. Yes, I believe. That's the belief that Jesus is looking for. The the agreement with Jesus' willingness and ability to be able to come into our lives and perform miracles. And if we choose and say, you know what, you're just a carpenter's son. Please don't come into my life. Please don't tell me what to do. Please don't heal me. Please don't set me free. And Jesus goes, well, I'm not going to be able to do a lot of mighty works in this town. I'm just going to move on. It's biblical. And again, I have to say this because there's so many wrong theologies out there. I'm, I'm not a guy that says you won't get it because you didn't believe hard enough. That's a very destructive teaching. But the Bible is very clear 
that you can't not believe. Sometimes God in his graciousness will heal unbelief uh, in unbelievers just to prove a point to them. But many times the Bible says that we need faith in God. The Bible says that we have to believe. We have to put our faith together with Jesus. The Bible record is clear. Jesus wants you to believe. And so when a people or a person flat out to believe or flat out refuse to believe, it appears that Jesus doesn't do much there. He moves on to people that want it. If you're in a church full of people that don't believe in Jesus, Jesus doesn't go there. He didn't want anything to do with those people. If you're a part of a church where people are believing that God's going to move and God's going to do big things, it's amazing that God shows up and does big things. I actually like Mark 6, 5, which is to me very funny. Uh, It says, now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. (laughs) That's just so funny to me, right? Because it says, well, he couldn't even do the mighty stuff. I mean, he healed a few people, but that was just little stuff. But he wasn't able to do the mighty stuff, the big stuff, man. I want the big stuff, man. I don't, I don't want to sit at the feet of Jesus and minimize him and, and have him walk away and be like, you know what, man? You, you didn't believe that I was going to be able to do it, so I just moved on to people that believed that I could, man. Wouldn't it be better just to believe? Wouldn't it be better to just put your full faith and trust in Jesus and his ability to be able to do what he said he would do and see him move in your life? Wouldn't it be better to experience a life filled with the blessings of God? Wouldn't, wouldn't it be better to just see him as more than a carpenter's son? What, what areas of your life has Jesus come into and he said, I want to heal you of this pain. I want to set you free from that addiction. I want to repair that relationship. I want to free you from that sin. But you stood there, looked at him in disbelief and said, Lord, you can't do it. You can't do it. You can't. He could do no mighty works there except heal a few. And he just moved on. He just moved on. This is our Jesus. This is what he said in Mark 11, 23 and 24. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things that he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you have received them and you will have them. I just take God at his word. I'm going to take God at his word. I believe that word. I believe whatever. I believe whoever. I believe will be removed. I believe that. And again, I always have to clarify it because people think, well, you're making the Bible say something that it's not. I don't need a golden toothbrush. I don't, I don't need a fancy car. I need to be forgiven of my sins. I need to go to heaven. I need to get this emotional pain out of my life. I need some other things that for God to fix. All that other stuff, that's, I, I believe that Jesus can set me free. I truly do. Did, did you guys not grow up in Sunday school? My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do for you and you and you. Some of y'all need to go back and serve in the Sunday school, man. Learn those songs. Yeah, you believe it, right? There's nothing he can't do. So Jesus answered and said to them, man, have faith in God. Just have faith. And some of you say, well, and we went over this a couple weeks ago about how people just need to be convinced in a hundred different scriptures. How many scriptures does it take to be convinced? Isn't it enough to just have one? Isn't it enough to just be like, you know, man, I don't know about you, but I'm going to die believing in God. 
I don't know about you, but I'm going to fail having faith in God. And Jesus said to them, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Matthew 21, 22, whatever you ask for in prayer, believing, you will receive. He's so much more than a carpenter's son, isn't he? Can we, can we just submit to his authority? Can we stop asking where did Jesus get his wisdom? He's God in the flesh. Can we stop bringing him down to our level and just saying he's just a carpenter's son? No, he's so much more than that. Can we, can we stop being offended and saying, uh, you know what, Jesus is a scandal and that he's not who he says that he is. Can we just revere him as Lord? Because here's the end result. We're going to see him do mighty works. Amen. Because those of us that believe that's where Jesus comes to town, he has honor and he does great and amazing things in our lives. Amen. 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 Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? If you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. We'd like to invite you to become one. And the process is quite simple. You just realize like, man, I am not a Christian. I've never repented of my sins. I've never came to Jesus and asked him to set me free. If you've never made that decision before and you'd like to make it for the very first time today, I want to encourage you to do it. It's just a heart condition. Right now, your heart's already changing. You've already changed in your belief. But if you've never made a decision, you say, you know what, I want to, I want to publicly say that I'm a Christian. I believe God does something that. So what I want to ask you to do is just raise your hand and say, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. Is there anybody that needs to do that for the first time? Hand held high. I want to pray with you this morning. Maybe you've made that decision before. And I always like to ask people to rededicate their lives because what I've found is that sometimes you make a decision that it's been many years and you find yourself in church and you're like, gosh, what did I do? I've been so far away from him. I'm done. I've fallen back into the arms of Jesus. If you want to come back to Jesus today, I'm going to rededicate your life. We want to pray for you as well. You can raise your hand right now to the heavens and say, that's me. I rededicate my life to Jesus. Some demonstrative that happens when you have to put your body and your declarations together. I know it's hard, but if you'd like to, you can come forward and someone will pray with you. Now, for the rest of us, we always want to apply the scripture to our lives. And maybe we don't wake up every morning calling Jesus a carpenter's son, but there's probably a small area of our lives where we're minimizing him. We're not letting him be fully Lord. So we just want to confess those things to Jesus today and say, Lord, you're so much more than a carpenter's son. You're Lord, you're Savior. Father, we love you this morning. I thank you for moving this morning, God. Help us to never forget that you are so much more than a carpenter's son. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we want to thank you so much for being online with us today. I want to remind you, if you're not a follower on Facebook, please like our page on YouTube. Please subscribe. Follow us on Twitter. Tell all your friends. Continue to watch online. We thank you for watching. We love you so much. Have a great day.